You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! I saw this trick where if you put your straw in the, ar- in the armpit, it makes this sound. <laughs> Everybody, welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim Jasma, and joining me all the way in Portland, Maine, we have Here Holiness, the Reverend Tracy. How you doing? I'm doing pretty swell, Tim. Um, I am sans the Mr. Reverend again this week. He is out of town, and I am also sans my bageling job this week because they are out of town. They're actually road tripping to take their kids to college because it's that small. Uh-huh. business. And then what's super funny is I'm still don't have my car um, just in time for my birthday to have absolutely nothing. <laughs> and then what's great is the cherry on top of that shit cake is that I got a notice on our door saying that I'm also not going to have any running water for eight hours on my birthday tomorrow because we're recording this on Monday this week. My birthday is tomorrow, August 16th. Um, so I just thought that was hilarious when I got that notice on the door. I'm like, wait, great. No car, no partner, and no running water. So <laughs> we're starting birthday week off lonely and without water. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of uh, the first Mr. Hankey episode on South Park. At the end of the episode, after the credits run, they cut to South Park public access, and Jesus is sitting there with a the birthday cake singing, Happy birthday to me. And then the lights go out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about trying to do a bunch of silly, like, sad birthday posts. Mm-hmm. But I just, I can't decide if that would actually be funny or if people would just think that I'm just playing some poor pitiful me things. I'm honestly fine with it. Just just throwing it out there. The Reverend does not really giveth a shitteth about here birthday if. Um, it's just another day to me. So it, it's okay that I'm not, I'm actually probably going to take myself out for breakfast. I'm going back to a super stricter vegan diet, but I think I'm going to go to Becky's Diner. Um, just one time for my birthday tomorrow morning and I'm going to have breakfast by myself and I'm going to read a book and that's actually okay and a healthy thing to do. Well, remember though, um, if you do decide to make some sad post, um, remember what George Carlin said, the joke is in the exaggeration. You know, So if you just make it really, really ridiculous about how sad you are, then maybe people will get that as a joke. You know what? I saw somebody selling, no joke. Well, it is a joke, but you know the whole like uh, when somebody's complaining, you like rub your fingers together and you say like, you know what that is? Mm-hmm. This is the world's tiniest violin playing the world's saddest song for you right now. And what's great is there's this metaphysical shop right across from my office job that literally somebody made the tiny violins. <laughs> so I almost want to get myself a tiny violin for my birthday. Um, but that would be a way to do it as I think it's playing like a really just dramatically that sad violin song that I mm-hmm. feel like plays in the background of like cartoons and crap since we were a kid. Right. Yeah. So I, if I did anything, I think that would be how to sell it. But anywho, if I do any sad birthday post that you guys saw this week, please understand that I am fine. I am actually totally 
great with being on my own on my birthday. It doesn't really matter to me. I don't like big, awkward parties anyway. It's just not been my bag. And this is the part of the documentary where it's like 12 hours later and you're crying with eating ice cream. (laughs) Oh, I do have a a little thing of uh, non-dairy Netflix and chill um, by Ben and Jerry. So maybe I could do that and just like my sad birthday day and just all this sad violin stuff and do all of the stereotypical I'm alone things. I don't know. It might be awkward to pretend like I'm crying at breakfast, though. But, you know, I do it. I'm, I don't really mind what strangers think about me, I guess. Well, also, maybe somebody would end up buying your food for you if you were crying too much. So there is a benefit there. I can't make myself cry, though. Like, it's just not something it's not a talent that I have. It has been something I was accused of uh, at least once in the past. I was like, oh, God, I wish I could figure out how to make myself cry. I'd actually like for real go into acting. That's really a desirable trait. It's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but anywho, so it's my birthday week. So I guess that's what I, where I accidentally just inject that it is my birthday, you know. You can send gift cards and money too. <laughs> Actually, all joking aside, if you are on our Facebook group and you you know, know my profile and can go, I do have a public fundraiser. I do it every year. I pick something for suicide awareness. So I do ask that people please donate to that. I I legit just, it goes back to, I can't emphasize how much um, I just don't really care about my birthday. I haven't in decades. I would much rather people give something to a good cause than buy me stuff that I don't want slash need. I mean, of course, like heartfelt gifts are totally different. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I'm just, I'm not a material person. I think I've mentioned on the show, I'm more of a minimalist. So I don't really want a big party where people try to guess things that I may or may not like and and give me a bunch of stuff that I then would feel like guilty for getting rid of because somebody got me that thing. So for me, it literally makes my minimalism more difficult to have like birthday parties. Like that's why we didn't really do, um, I didn't do a, a wedding shower or whatever, or a like a big wedding. Like I didn't want gifts. I told people, please don't send us gifts for our wedding. And like, like the whole baby shower thing is something that I, I again, just uh, people get all of these gifts. And I just put myself mentally in that situation and being like, mm, I'm not sure I would want that much stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're like, Hey Tracy, why do you have 12 air fryers? Shut up. They were gifts. <laughs> right. And then me being more of that human that I will keep something because I'm attached to the person that gave it to me. It just puts me in this weird, awkward position to just mm-hmm. have a bunch of stuff that I'll never be able to get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> but how's your week going? Well, um, my week, I've uh, been having some more fun on TikTok, and it is weird, the videos that seem to get attention, because at least for me, the ones I've made, the ones that get the most attention all relate to food. <laughs> like, <laughs> but not, uh, One of the top most uh, viewed videos that I've made on TikTok was just me reacting to somebody that was making a spaghetti meatloaf. And it was like they made spaghetti. They put in like some uh, mozzarella uh, sticks into there. They put it in the freezer. Then they ha- they made it all out. And I'm like, why are over 4,000 people watching me comment on this? But I'll take it. I mean, so it was it – was, uh, it's been an interesting week, I guess, kind of learning uh, what TikTok uh, ha- is all about, you know? Right. I think that's funny because I still just have just the two videos right now. I'm still trying to play with how to do stuff. And mm-hmm. the one that I did responding to, you know, Miss Stay Toxic, eh, <laughs> uh, that one's got 
about, I think, over 1,100 views now. Mm-hmm. And then the second one I did has like some views, but I did love that the guy that, you know, I, <laughs> that I did the duet on his video, he's awesome, by the way, I went and followed him because I, his videos are really great. He apparently is very open about his recovering from addiction story. Mm-hmm. So that is something that I love supporting are people who are open about their journey, about their struggle. Um, it really just kind of normalizes the conversation that this isn't that rare and maybe being okay with being open and talking about it, like lets people know that it's not that rare so that you can then like start addressing your issues. So I've always loved like people who have that theme to their account. Um, but he actually liked my video back. So I was worried because I really loved his message. I didn't want him to think that I was like discarding it or trying to cheapen it or anything with my stupid joke in the end. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but he seemed to appreciate it. So TikTok is making me actually kind of want to learn it more. It seems a a little bit better than I initially assumed. I I felt like I kind of got my little, are the whippersnappers are on this now attitude. And I had no interest in learning it at first, but with getting rid of Twitter, it kind of made more sense to be open to looking at it. And then seeing the stuff that you were doing with it was also kind of cool. So it kind of drew me in slowly. Kind of? Come on. No. <laughs> I'm making quality content here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say kind of drew me in. I was like, I've made two videos. I can't say that I've totally, like, completely gotten hooked on TikTok where I'm doing it every day. <laughs> well, I, so far what I'm really digging about it is that personal aspect because the thing that's been, that's lacking in other social media sites – is body language, tone of voice. I mean, you know, there, you know, how many times have people made a joke on Twitter that people just didn't get because it's words typed out on a screen? Oh, exactly. And even if you're typing words on the screen, what I like is you're doing a video of like, you can do that with your face Mm -hmm. so that you could see, because that's actually kind of a cool style. I like that, like of just you having kind of a nonverbal, like body language and kind of pointing up at words or, you know, pointing at things around you as they pop up. Like I saw that on Instagram. And so now I'm realizing that I think people were making those on their TikTok Mm -hmm. and because TikTok can share to Instagram. So all of the neat videos that I've really appreciated from some of the people that I follow on Instagram, like appeared to be coming from there. So it's, it's been fun. Well, I know there's one video that uh, I have seen on TikTok that uh, we wanted to talk about before we dive into our main event this week. And that involves the daughter of a former president of the United States. Oh, yes. Back from where I come from in Texas, because, you know, the Bushes are very well known for being Texas family and Texas royalty. But, yeah, um, there was this headline that came up and I had seen it on The Independent originally, but The Independent released and other people did, too. Um, Justin Sylvester pushes Jenna Bush Hager away twice during today's show segment. And so it was actually the Mr. Reverend that showed this to me. And I remember I watched the video. I don't always read the articles on stuff, especially when it's an article. It's like people are demanding the head of, and that's kind of what this one was going towards. It was saying some viewers suggest Hager should be suspended for repeatedly violating Sylvester's personal space. And if you watch the video, it very much seems like that's exactly what she's doing. Um, She even kind of makes a comment at the beginning where she says – 
like the chef says something about Justin being good at something and Jenna says something that's not all he's good at with all of the dripping of uncomfortable sexual tone that you want to take into it, I suppose. And then, you know, you see her touch his shoulder and he shrugs her off. Like you can clearly see that he shrugged her off. And then he did put his hand like to her kind of to her stomach, but like the back of his hand, more of like a pushing away gesture. And she kind of kept pursuing and touching him. And so I understand why people would respond to that negatively. Now, it does turn out in full clarity that Justin has now come out. And what's funny is, of course, the article I found was released on today.com. Um, where Justin Sylvester is explaining what really went on in the viral video of him pushing Jenna away. And essentially, it seems like he's kind of taking her side on it, that, you know, he was trying to flirt with the chef and he is saying that he was trying to create some space. What I found was interesting is he didn't cop it off that he was trying to be playful or anything like that, which I think would kind of make it a little bit more understandable in my head. But I think the real takeaway from all of this is, is this is not acceptable behavior to put on national television. Um, Whether it was joking or acceptable or not, what everybody saw that we're trying to say is okay was some person making a comment, touching that person, even though they kind of shrugged off and moved away, and then continually pursuing touching that person. And to me kind of, you know, trying to come out and say that it's okay after the fact doesn't really make it okay. Like, I think I still kind of stand on she could use to maybe be suspended and talked to about the example that you're setting on national television, right? We wouldn't want a male host doing that to a female co-host. It seems super clear, right, that that would be considered really gross behavior. The the male host would have been fired, like, you know, before that segment was done. I mean, that that is just a fact. Look how, I mean, and rightfully so, if, if that were the case. Yeah, and, and again, this goes towards, it doesn't really matter, Um it more matters what it looks like, right? Because you're setting that visual example when you're on TV of how to treat other people. So what she kind of did was kind of give this not so great example. I do think that today show should definitely address what happened. I mean, I don't know how I feel about an article coming out. You can totally speculate that this stinks of like women backpedaling after they realize they've just like said something about somebody who's way bigger than them. Right. Or -hmm. something being witnessed that they would have never turned in because they don't want to kind of question that hierarchy. And I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm just saying it kind of could be interpreted that way, too, that. You know, Justin Sylvester, who is he compared to Jenna Bush Hager? So I could see that kind of trying to protect that protection of self coming in and and trying to defend the action. Again, not saying that's what happened. He said that she's a very nice, kind lady and she very well could just be physically affectionate. But I think it's still time to question that in the age of consent culture, that just because you're physically affectionate does not give you permission to continue to touch people. It's like learn to read cues. She shouldn't have gone back again, even if it was playful. Right. Like if she had just stopped the first time she put her hand on his shoulder, I don't think we would be talking about this right now. But really, the thing was, was showing that pursuit on national television that I think people are really having a problem with accepting. 
Uh, understandable, too, because contrary to what people think, I mean, that is the one time where you have both parents and kids at home watching this. And exactly. I remember as a kid myself, I did pay attention to what was on the news when my mother had it on. So it's very much possible that, you know, some kids saw this and, you know, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, 20, 30 years from now, we're going to find out that a rash of uh, kids were somehow horribly affected by this. I'm not saying that, but it's still a bad example. It's something that does need to be addressed because, again, if if the genders were reversed here, it would be much, much more of an up than it currently is. Right. I think there would still be the conversation of this is not a good example. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I still wanted to bring it up. I know we had talked at the head like before we got on the recording that I wasn't sure, especially with his article. But really, it just kind of makes me feel like it's more worth talking about now. I don't want to give what was witnessed an entire pass. I do mm-hmm. think it still deserves to be addressed because there is kind of a really gnarly attitude Um, That uh, a certain segment of vaginaed people seem to have where, you know, we, because I'm still in that group, we got treated a certain way for several decades by men. So it is okay to treat them that way back. And last Mm -hmm. I checked, like, that's not actually how you fix this stuff. Um, Fixing it actually requires addressing it and everybody involved being able to move on from it, not doing it back and forth to each other. Right. And it's funny because I know our topic is going to be talking about dating. And I feel like that's something that can happen in relationships so not necessarily during the dating part of it. But when you're in a long term relationship, that kind of idea of, well, they did it to me, so I'm going to do it back. And that's toxic at any level, I guess, is what I'm saying. So it just seems like women kind of have this thing right now. And I I say this based on, you know, some of the weird stuff that I see on Facebook sometimes where it's like, they'll post a picture of like this dude that's really hot and just make all of this thirsty commentary over it. And I'm like, isn't it kind of weird that we're giving ourselves permission to do this when this is something that we're asking men to stop doing to us. And almost every time I will have at least one or more female person give that idea of, well, they've done it to us for a long time. So it serves them right. And I'm like, "Mm, that's not a healthy attitude. (laughs) Two wrongs don't make a right. I mean, that's old adage, but it's true. Yeah. And even, you know, the whole eye for an eye thing is Old Testament uh, folks uh, actually got, if you're a Christian person, that's still not cool. Like Jesus addressed that. Like, don't do that. Um. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a motto to live by in your marriage. Trust me on that one. (laughs) No, 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 no. But uh, yeah, uh, kind of. Let's slide into our main event with that because uh, you are correct. In a lot of ways, it does have uh, kind of some similarities in some ways. And um, as you mentioned, we're going to be talking about dating today, and it's all because of a Psychology Today article I came across. Um, and you know, thanks to TikTok of all places, it, it you know a lot of people had made some videos on TikTok about it. I also saw some uh, posts on Facebook uh, pre- previously about it. But um, the article was called The Rise of Lonely Single Men by Dr. Greg Matos. Yes. And I'll be clear with everybody. I did not read this one. So this is more of a Tim. Take it away. Tell us about the Psychology Today article. I'm a big fan of Psychology Today. Yeah. Well, when I first read it, I ended up getting annoyed. And I wanted to question myself as to why, because, you know, because the article itself, um, you know, as it's talking about, it's talking about men, it's talking about dating and relationships. I wanted to make sure that my response wasn't the not all guys type of response that you normally get 
uh, in a situation like this. And the more I thought about it, um, you know, what I decided to do was kind of go through the article and get, get, you know, get some bullet points together that I think really kind of illustrate my why I think. I, w- I was upset. Right. Um, you know, the art, it, it, like one bullet point here is that men are quickly becoming long-term single. Men are typically happier and healthier when they're partnered. So this is a long-term problem for physical and mental health of men. Um, and one reason uh, for that is lack of success on dating apps. Mm, that kind of makes sense though. Cause I know we've, we've also talked about, you know, women have kind of moved away from dating apps. So, and I think this article does cover that, right? Indeed, indeed. Yeah, the uh, like it mentions in the article that on average among all of the dating apps, 62% uh, of the users are men. Uh, there was another article I came across uh, for Tinder specifically that talked about that Tinder had um, 78% of its users were men. And um when when you think about that, that is a way to kind of illustrate a lot of the problem here because, you know, you were going to say something. Oh, no, it's okay. When I, when I put a finger up, you totally don't have to stop. It's just that I had something to interject after the fact. Like, really, it's just – it's also interesting because that's not an accurate reflection of our gender ratios in the United States. There are more women than men in the United States. Just in case people didn't know that, it's not by much. It's like 51.1% or something like that. But – so that's interesting to take into the context of that information is all like, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your thought there. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no worries. No worries. No worries. Um, you know, basically, you know, the, an analogy I thought of here is that women are kind of like scouts for a national sports team. You know, they have a, a roster spot that they need to fill and they have 10 people that apply for that. Eight of them are confirmed world-class athletes Two of them are minor league players. Are you really going to really find fault with a scout of a of, of a team to go for a world class player um, compared to someone that could potentially become one, but is a fixer upper? You know, I, it's like it's when it's a two to one average like this, you can understand why women would be a little more selective because they're getting so many matches. Like, um, you know, before you met the Mister Reverend, you use dating apps. How many matches? did you end up getting oh my god i meeting the mr reverend was kind of funny so you know tim and i have mentioned that he and i dated at one point and tim and i actually met through tinder and so obviously i don't regret everybody that i met through tinder um (laughs) but did i and mr reverend was funny to me because i had gotten so frustrated with the whole thing um Mm. and that includes dating bad polly like, I'm sorry for anybody out there that does this, but if you are a polyamorous person and you are already with a nesting partner, it is really important to bring that up maybe before somebody goes on a date with you, like especially if it's supposed to be a romantic date. I shouldn't have learned that on the date that they had a nesting partner, um, especially because my preferred style is a little bit more of a kitchen table poly situation. Like, so it kind of felt weird And like, it kind of immediately undercut my trust. Um, I also had the really funny date that I went on just to see how bad it was of the guy who like really just was like, wanted me to commit to being willing to have sex with him, like before we even met for drinks. And um, I went just to see how bad that was. And what I mean by that was he literally sat there and like almost hate watched a game the entire time while drinking 
And not that I necessarily believe that people should just buy me drinks, but Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting with his mentality being to his main focus was to bed me that he didn't buy or offer to buy a single one of my drinks. Didn't even offer to like get up and get me a drink, which granted I wouldn't have let him anyway because I would have suspected like roofie city. I mean, not really, but I just would have statistically you should kind of reduce that. And if somebody's being very predatory, I would not let them get me drinks. Um, that's just a rule that I made up at some point in college. If somebody seems super, super into me, nah, I'll just go get my own drink from the bar. Um, I did get ghosted by one guy that I really was into. And then what was funny was a handful of months later, I saw him sitting on a bench with a wedding ring. Um, we had Oops. actually met at a hotel and been romantic. So I was like, oh, okay. I think that just happened. Um, so that being said, I'd actually gotten to just the end of my patience with Tinder. I had never really used a dating app. Um, I had almost always kind of known friends or been in a friend group where it turned out someone was interested in me. Like not necessarily that they were waiting for me to be single, but it just mm-hmm. kind of worked out that way. Um, where like, oh, okay, well, we were friends. So what's funny is it made a really interesting base for the relationship because I was with somebody already. So we were genuinely getting to know each other as friends. So getting into Tinder, got tired of it. I legit only found the Mr. Reverend (laughs) from just I wanted to see the end of Tinder one day. So I just wanted to run out of potential matches. And in Portland, Oregon, there were so many potential matches. And it kind of goes into that statistic you were saying. You know, at the time, I had really just put that I was more interested in men, Mm -hmm. um, even though I am interested in both. I even think that I put that I was interested in both. But there were a lot more men on there. I didn't see a lot of women. Um, So kind of to that point of frustration. So I, you know, swiped yes on him. And I decided to be nice (laughs) Because I had swiped yes, that I should keep the app for about a week and let anybody who wants to talk to me, talk to me, right? Because I didn't want to do bullshit behavior. And so I feel like I kind of lucked out in an anomaly way um, to get with the Mr. Reverend. But yeah, it was kind of a weird journey. And when I realized I was really getting more shitty situations than good, Mm -hmm. it made it a really easy decision for me, a a woman, I'm going to throw that up in quotes, to just remove that like it just made it such an easy decision to be like nope I don't want to do tinder I don't want to do bumble I I just I don't want to do any of the dating apps anymore so I completely understand why women have kind of more or less fled from the dating app route as far as if they want something serious now a lot of women still do use it like for sexual hookups and I think it's a totally acceptable way to do that if that's what you want to do. So it's just turned into more. I don't think dating apps are for dating. I think they're really more for hookups now. Yeah. And that was ultimately what I discovered really kind of annoyed me about the article because they the article was crafted in a way to make it seem like men are the problem and 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 when what's really the case here is that in terms of this article specifically this article was framing the lonely single men in terms of dating apps only i'm not referring to anything else i mean when you have a case to where um you know almost you know it's almost a two-to-one ratio of men versus women on there like you know your chances of as a guy of finding success on there are, are just not going to be good uh, you know yeah. and and it begs the question 
instead of trying to urge guys to become better at defeating the algorithms for the dating app, why are we not encouraging them to actually go where women are? Because they're not on dating apps. Right. I mean, especially men, and I know several men who don't want to just fuck around. They do want a good, solidly built relationship. And I find like, the advice I give when I ask if they want advice, because we're going to go into this whole consent culture thing. I think that's going to be almost a theme to this whole thing mm-hmm. um, as I've learned, right? Ask for consent before you just give advice to people. Not everybody wants advice. Some people just want to vent. But when I do end up giving advice to like my single friends who are frustrated, particularly men, my male friends, it's really like invest in your hobbies, get out there and do things that you enjoy. Cause what's great is that's going to set you up to meet people who are already into something you enjoy. So possibly you already have a quality time activity together. And so it can kind of help with that. And even like inherently solo activities like hiking, there's like meetup groups. Like I think I'd made the joke to you that I feel like more successful relationships have spurred from meetup.com than from Tinder. And that is something we're thinking about. I mean, I know with my experience with dating apps after um, my, my divorce occurred in 2016, um, the dating app, like I, I guess Tinder uh, was created in 2014. So, you know, a couple, that's only a couple years later, they didn't have that many users. And for someone who had, who has anxiety issues like myself at first, dating apps were so great to be able to break oh, yeah. the ice and connect with people. But yeah, over time, I think what I have found found the negative uh, that is a negative for me for dating apps and why I think I'm probably you know not going to use them again is because it does to your point you know it, it kind of makes you forget the fact that you do have to if you're creating a long trying to create a long-term relationship you have to create it based on something other than just you know the chemicals that are going on in your head because those do go away. And if you don't have any other basis together, that's just going to lead to problems down the road. Exactly. And I think um, we we do have like an article that we'll get into that I think does a good job at kind of addressing kind of what happened to our, our apps and like in those apps and where they kind of took a turn. Well, let's uh, dive into the article right now. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So in talking about this, of course, I wanted to go out there and find like more, right? I love finding a good source of material. And I did end up finding just that through the Center for Modern Relationships. It's called Ditch Toxic Dating Culture. It's an article by Michelle Herzog, LMFTCST. And just a little bit of a quick side education on what those things mean. That means she is a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a certified sex therapist. So that immediately got my attention. And in true the reverend fashion, this article that I found phrases it better than I would. So it's a little bit of a read through to follow along with. So, yeah, let's go with it. There's five total. Number one, dating by, quote, the rules. <laughs> Living by a set of dating rules that TDC, which is the little abbreviation for toxic dating culture, um, that TDC supports is a recipe for letdown and confusion and frustration. These rules were created to play on people's attachment traumas, which is not helpful for someone who is trying to cultivate meaningful connection. If you find yourself counting the hours between responding to a text or tallying the number of dates you've been on with someone before having sex with them, I invite you to move in a different direction. If you ditch these rules and so many other 
years, you are actually giving yourself a chance to create authentic and engaging dating experiences on your terms. And you deserve to have a dating life that you're excited about. Makes a lot of sense because like take texting alone. I mean, that for me on the very early stages of uh, meeting with somebody, you don't want to seem like you're over eager. And I I mean, I remember doing that once and I'm sure I probably did it more than once, but one comes to mind and um, just the the feeling of like, oh shit, I stepped in it once it's pointed out to you that you're a little eager, just, uh, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, you want to be respectful. You don't want to overwhelm somebody's text messages. But in in the whole scheme of things, you got the chemicals going in your brain. You want to have, oh my god, I this person I liked him, I liked him, and you want to text them. And but yeah, the rules. And 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 yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, you again, being over eager, you do want to respect somebody, you know, sending like 25 text messages at three o'clock in the morning. Maybe don't do that. But yeah, that that only works if you're both experiencing the same level of NRE. So what stinks is, is like a lot of these rules end quote actually goes against a lot of what our our chemicals tell us to do so and i think like really the dating by the rules thing and we're going to get into some of those rules like after this article because we did find one that had just like a whole list of them um that were just fascinating to go through but it's exhausting right when something has continual rules that always changes think about playing any game or like playing a game when you were a kid right and somebody made up some game and -hmm. every time you do something there's a new rule introduced it gets frustrating and it makes you not want to play the game anymore, right? So I think that's honestly what's gone on with dating. And now because we've had kind of decades of toxic dating culture to contribute to all of these rules. And what's amazing is a lot of them have not gone away. Like some of the stuff we'll talk about, um, we're more or less going to do a little bit of a nerdy five of our least favorite toxic dating culture um, behaviors. Like they've been around since... Tim and I were kids. Like I remember kind of being more or less passively educated on these things, but yeah, it's so continual and ongoing. It's exhausting. And I totally get where people just are like, I'm done dating. It can definitely, definitely, definitely get totally frustrating, especially if you know, you're on the guy end of uh, dating app life. You know? mm-hmm. And then number two, losing personal accountability. This is what I was kind of talking about um, a second ago. Modern dating technology has made it really easy to abandon our values. If you're reading this, you've most likely been on the receiving end of having a lively conversation with someone in an app that abruptly stops, never to be heard from again. Or you've been ghosted by someone you've been seeing for a couple of months. Or you send message after message hoping for a response, but instead you get crickets. Digital dating has created a culture in which we are not being accountable to ourselves or to the people we come in contact with. The lack of personal accountability in modern dating is straight up harmful, like really harmful. If you are going to be an ethical dater, then you need to take it upon yourself to develop accountability around how you treat other people. It has to start with you. Take a moment to write down the ways you are going to show personal accountability in your dating life and start to implement those actions ASAP. Oh, yeah. I mean, that even goes to me talking at the top of the show about being ghosted by that guy, Um, you know, being treated like a piece of meat, like the guy that I went on the date just to see how bad it was. And that being said, yes, I did go on dates where it was just we talked and it just, you know, it didn't click. And, Mm -hmm. And but that was like maybe one 
out of all of them where we actually had that refreshing emotional intelligent moment where we legit said like we're not attracted to each other like I, I it came up very organically and it was super refreshing but that's the only time I've ever experienced that and we stayed and enjoyed our drinks like once we cut the tension of realizing we weren't into each other we had a nice chat and that was it we never talked again and that's okay but we talked about that had a nice time went our separate ways. No different than having a fun friend in the line at the grocery store that you just never intend to see again. It was totally a refreshing experience, but seems to be incredibly rare experience in dating. And it kind of uh, goes to what we were talking about before the recording, too, in terms of these weird expectations you have uh, with online dating. I mean, when you do match with somebody and meet them for the first time, you met them on a dating app. So you're not necessarily thinking I'm going to start and, you know, get to know them as a person first. It's automatically from the start, like I could potentially have sex with this person. Yay. Yay. (laughs) And, and, And you're not thinking about other things that I guess you that I, I think you probably would think about if you met this person in real life, you know, whether at like a volunteer thing or at a record store or wherever people meet people today, you know, exactly. Like, I think in a weird way, online dating seemed like a really cool idea, right? Like there was a book that I had read, Say What You Will of Steve Harvey. I still think Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man was an interesting read. Um, at one point in my dating journey and figuring out how to date. But something that he had put out there was not settling for somebody who treats you poorly because this book was to women, right? And mm-hmm. women do kind of have that that historical stereotype of the whole it's not that bad, right? And he had this whole thing of we do have the internet. We have more access to meet people who are into you. It doesn't matter if you've got a gap between your teeth, if you're skinny, if you're fat, if you're tall, if you're short, you know, you will, you can find people. And that is kind of neat about internet dating. But I think my, my humble opinion on it is what it's accidentally done is it's made it like you're interacting with personas or possibly characters instead of realizing that you're interacting with a real life person. Like we've just come off of video game era, right? And now we are interacting with people who aren't face-to-face people with us. And I'm not going to say that we're like necessarily justifying treating them like how some people treat hookers in Grand Theft Auto, but, um, but you know, it really kind of takes away that you're dealing with a human when you don't have like that face-to-face interaction. So I can see where it's easier to kind of have this, this separation that you're dealing with a living, breathing human who has emotions and needs versus like if you had met them like in a class in your college or if you guys had ended up on like a hiking group together and slowly making chat over time where you're more likely to view that person as a human you're meeting than a potential, you know, getting your metaphorical dick wet situation. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's less objectifying, I think. Um, yeah. I see where it's easier to objectify, I guess, is the more succinct way to do that when you don't meet them face to face in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what is anyway, the, what is the well, third one? Yeah, number yeah. three is actually kind of related to that. Um, assigning trendy names to shitty behavior. Ghosting, breadcrumbing, orbiting, flea bagging, zombieing, catfishing. Should I keep going? Benching, love bombing, cookie jarring, outsourcing. 
People are clever. But what would happen if you stopped wasting your time naming these bad behaviors and spent more time being an ethical dater? I have a feeling your experience would be more positive. Would it surprise you to learn that people have been behaving this way in dating scenarios well before the convenience of digital dating? The only difference is that our access has increased providing more opportunities to come up against these kinds of dating quote trends. The invention of the, sorry, the invention of the meme hasn't helped either. This is your opportunity to identify dating trends that you are contributing to in toxic dating culture and to replace them with ethical actions based on positive dating experience you want for yourself. You can do this. Um, Yeah. So kind of related, right? Because it's talking about how, like number two kind of brought up that we do kind of this stuff, like the whole ghosting thing. I don't know what benching is catfishing. I'm aware of, but I kind of remember being catfished before catfishing was considered a thing on plenty of fish. Um, for anybody who actually knows what that dating website was. I think benching, if like it, it, if it's the same thing as a sports reference, you know, if you bench a player, um, you're putting somebody else in, but you know, have a chance to bring them back to, uh, into the game at a later point. Okay. Which, you know, for you know, the, on both ends, whether you're a guy or a gal, if you were the one being benched, not the not the best feeling. Right. I mean, I would almost keep that more as like I think I'd heard that as stringing along. But so that's well. I guess you don't have to string along. Doesn't necessarily mean you're you're seeing somebody else. So I guess I could see where benching is a little bit different. But I, I just didn't know what half the terms were, and I found that refreshing that I didn't know what half the terms were. <laughs> uh, well, me, it'd be like I don't know what the kids know today. But the, with the names too, what I found is you know in terms of like ghosting, breadcrumbing, stuff like that, the people that are normally throwing that out aren't necessarily looking at how their own behavior contributed to uh, that situation. I mean, speaking for myself, I know I've been in situations to where, you know, I, I've, you know, said that the person I used to be in a relationship with has caused me all kinds of pain and sorrow without taking into account my actions in that process, you know, and, and a lot of times when, when you do have people that are throwing this out, sometimes, um, Oh, what, you know, the thou doth protest too much. type (laughs) It's like the, the, the people that are the complaining about that the most nine times out of 10 are the ones that are doing it themselves, you know? Oh yeah. So, I mean, and I guess I get it. Like, I don't think we should continue making cute names for people to brag about what they do, right? Mm -hmm. Like making trendy names for shit behavior is kind of in a weird way. Branding that behavior is cool. And I did like the mention of bringing up memes, right? Because I think I've talked about it on here before. Anybody can make a meme. It's almost like this weird form of gaslighting because making it into like a very well put together shareable is kind of like presenting something as fact. It it kind of almost plays with that same part of the brain is stating something very factual. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, people are like making these terms, making them funny, making them cute. And maybe that's just not the thing we should be focusing on. Yeah, I mean, we it's the main focus, I guess, should be what is making a relationship work. If there is something that needs to be worked on, properly communicating that with the other person instead of looking for an excuse to ditch them and then throwing out a catchphrase to, you know, get people to say, oh, poor you, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird, though, because I do kind of get the sense that 
making the names like makes you aware of the potential shitty information or shitty behaviors that are out there. But at the same time, it is kind of accidentally branding it and making it desirable for people to pursue. Like it almost gives that bad idea, uh, especially of jaded people who are in the dating scene, which does exist. There are women that will tear through men like tissue paper. There are men that tear through women like tissue paper. Both genders do that. And I think what, you know, the opposite of the creating awareness around it is accidentally encouraging people to do shitty behavior because they feel validated because, you know, they got wronged by somebody at some point. So fuck all of insert gender. Hey, yeah, because that's always healthy. That always yeah, works. that's that's super <laughs> the place you want to be in when you're dating. Right. <laughs> like, that's that's yeah. what you should be in, in, like putting on to other people. Love me. Um, I dare you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I dare you to love me. I'll be terrible to you. Uh, so number four, using dating apps to meet your sexual needs while not being upfront about it, which is something we organically touched on kind of at the beginning. Um, I am the last person to shame you for having casual sex. Please get your sexual needs met, but do be upfront about it. In order to ditch toxic dating culture, you must take responsibility for your actions, including your intentions around sex. When you use a dating app to meet your sexual needs and do not outwardly express your intention, you are setting another person up for a whole lot of emotional distress. Plus, you aren't giving that person the opportunity to make a healthy decision for themselves. Your actions have impact. It's sexy to be upfront about what you're looking for out of dating apps. If you own your sexual needs and can express them appropriately, you will find yourself in the sheets with people who are also craving casual connections. But if you are lying to get what you want, then you, my friend, are playing right into toxic dating culture. I encourage you to think deeply about your ethical dating practices and how you can effectively communicate your intentions. And I think this is almost like, one of the things I really appreciated about, you know, polyamory and that that community is that openness of what you want, right? Like there's solo poly people out there who know they do not want to live with another human mm-hmm. and they know they don't want to have kids. You know what I mean? And so like that person, though, going on a date with somebody, you know, who's really looking for that nesting partner first but they're not communicating that that's, you know, but they're more likely to at least communicate their needs, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, and it's something that I wish that that emotional maturity around sexual wants and needs versus relationship wants and needs. I wish that would bleed over to monogamous dating because, right, there are lots of people out there who just want to have casual sex. And wouldn't it be great if they were just honest enough to say that that's what they wanted? So those people are getting matched together and leaving the people alone who are looking for a nesting partner. I know for me, when I was younger, I was nervous to talk to the ladies and whatnot about stuff like that, only to find out later on that, yeah, if you just ask, you know, you'd be surprised the answers you would get from women about, you know, all the dirty, casual stuff you'd want to do. But it's just being honest, being appropriate, too, obviously, not bringing it up to to just somebody like you work with that you've never had a conversation like that before. You know, it's just someone that you meet like that. But but again, talk it out. Yeah. Because, (laughs) because, yeah, if it, there are plenty of people, especially in Portland, Oregon. I mean, this is a hard town not to get laid in, but you just have to be able to communicate that, you know? Yeah. And be fair about it. Like, 
There's nothing wrong or shameful with wanting to have casual sex. The wrong and kind of shameful thing is when you do emotional damage to other people, not caring if your needs mesh. Right. And that can even be said of people who still choose to go into long term relationships who have maybe like lied about what they like to do or what they're into or how they want to spend their life. Like it would be the equivalent, I think, of like even one person saying, I do want to have kids. I do want to move in. And the other person just going along with it, even though they know damn well they don't want to have kids. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's it's the same thing. I just wish we could see that level of honesty open up about that instead of this weird tabooed sexual shame we have around it. Because, again, there's nothing wrong with that, even if that's not something that I necessarily want. I just don't think it's really my place to say you're a bad person for wanting casual sex because I just don't see a problem with it as long as you're being honest about what you're going for. Uh, honest and and respectful, too. Again, you know, yeah. um, but <laughs> – Maybe you don't what? randomly roll up behind somebody in a grocery store line. It's like, excuse me, would you like to have sexual intercourse later? Like, you know, you learn like the appropriate places to bring it up. Yeah. I mean, last so much. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like last time I did that, it was horrible. Security got called. And everything. <laughs> what is number five? The fifth and final one that I wanted to share. And that's all there is to this. There's actually not more. So there's only five. Um, number five. There will always be someone better mindset. It's time to take a good look at the potential partners that are actually in front of you and stop telling yourself that there could be somebody better out there. Toxic dating culture has created the idea that you have endless options. You don't. <clears throat> Toxic dating culture has made us feel like we deserve to have our list of 134 qualities and a partner checked before we commit. Your list is way too long. Toxic dating culture is literally driving people to believe that the absolute perfect person is out there. Spoiler alert, perfect people do not exist. <laughs> this mindset is hurting your dating life, and it's setting you up for constant disappointment. Take the opportunity to check your expectations so you can give so you can really give potential partners the time it actually takes to see if chemistry is there. If you put in the time and effort and you feel like it's best to move on to other options, that's great. You've made a positive change. So yeah, like, <clears throat> like kind of to the thing that I'd brought up with Steve Harvey's book, like what he was talking about is if you are in a relationship where you are being treated poorly, there's not a reason to stay in that. Like there, there's enough options out there that you can realistically find somebody who doesn't treat you like shit or objectify you or insert thing that's undesirable and making you miserable. But what this is saying is maybe don't just dust your hands the first fight you've had because <laughs> you're really robbing yourself of emotional maturity there. Like uh, something that did come up in the 21 most toxic stuff that didn't quite make my list, but you kind of touched on it earlier is this idea that when you have a fight with a partner – we place it off on that person's toxic and you're not taking any of that time to do one of the reverend's favorite things, shadow work and shadow integration to unpack if you had anything to do with that. Mm -hmm. Like you're robbing yourself from that to constantly just keep churning through the dating scene because you don't want to do the hard work that it honestly takes to maintain a healthy relationship. And it's yeah, I mean, it's you're not keeping a scorecard here. And I think this is part of the problem, too, about 
you know, the people that you do meet via a dating app, you know, starting off with romance automatically, you're not creating that human to human connection that it really is important for a relationship, you know, like, I, and to be fair, I mean, there are people that uh, you, in your case, for example, that have met through a dating app and make a relationship work. Yes. But it, from, from the sounds of uh, the article I read, a lot of guys are not able to do that, you know, so it's like, like ident- I, I think the important thing is, you know, speaking for myself only here, just identifying the fact that maybe me with my personality, maybe I'm not best to sell myself on a dating app. And maybe it's not healthy for me either because of the weird expectations that are there uh, when you meet up with someone on a dating app. You know, doesn't mean I don't want a romantic relationship. Not at all. I would certainly love one or whatever, you know, but just – it has to be done right. And, and through yeah. a dating app is not that is for me is not the right way. Yeah. Relationships are hard and everybody's going to have their different communication needs. Like for the Mr. Reverend and I, something silly that we came up with that has seriously reduced fighting. We have both realized that we are bad at interrupting each other. We're bad about it. So now what we do is when we have one of those intrusive, I need to speak right now thoughts. And if you've ever noticed me do this, I don't think I've ever explained it to you, Tim, is we put our finger on our nose (laughs) because it just means I have a thought. I'm hanging on to it. I want you to finish your thought, but I have a thought. So that way that person can wrap up because what we were finding was we'd have a thought and we'd try to hang on to it. But somebody like they're talking and they're filling the space and they don't know that there's some other thought that wants to be contributed. So like if I see the Mr. Reverend put his finger on his nose, I know, oh, let me wrap this up because he has a thought he'd really like to share and doesn't want to interrupt me. And Mm -hmm. that has been such an amazing tool because interrupting is really one of those things that we do as people. Like it is also one of the top pet peeves, but that also goes into you tend to notice things that you do. That's that whole theory of projection. We're all bad at it. Um, So something really interesting, real quick about number five, I loved that it brought up this whole toxic dating culture has made us feel like we deserve to have our list of hundreds of qualities. I feel like that straight comes from Christianity soulmate belief. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember getting shot down once by this guy that I liked back when it was in high school and I was going to this church. And he told me that it was because God told him that his soulmate would have green eyes. So I legit got shot down because he felt that God gave him his list. And that's actually, from my experience, a very common mentality. Um, And again, people who don't know my full background that haven't listened to a lot of this episode, I come from the Bible belt buckle down in Texas. So that's why it's super prevalent for me to talk about some of the Jesus stuff sometimes. But yeah, like when I read that, I was like, holy shit, that was so like relevant when I was a kid. And I remember like people making their soulmate lists. Like that was a thing that I remember like, and what's sad is it's almost a toxic overdone of something that could be quite healthy, right? Because something that I had learned is you should have your prices of admission. You should know what you want. That was actually a thing from polyamory, polyamory weekly from the cunning minx is she talks about having an owner's manual for yourself mm-hmm. and being having an honest conversation of what you want and need in a relationship and not settling on those things, which is kind of important versus having a, a, it shouldn't be a hundred things though. Right. Like that's, that's way too much and just damn near unrealistic. 
I, and I, I think for me, when it comes to polyamory, it, it made me realize that relationships will always evolve. And you need to be able to accept that what your relationship is today, not what you want it to be 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And, you know, that, that again, is a mindset that you have to really train yourself to be in, uh, in, in dating, to be able to accept the fact that, you know, I, I may be excited now. My level of excitement may remain the same. It may not remain that, that way for the other person at some point. And you have to be able to deal with that, you know, because the, 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 think of how silly a soulmate out of all the billions of people on the planet, someone within relative close geographical distance to you is just for you. Imagine that. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but the wrap up really quick on this article, because her final little uh, paragraph here, excuse me. We've all contributed to toxic dating culture in some way, but I am mm -hmm. confident that you have the power to change toxic dating culture. This is your opportunity to craft the dating experience you have been yearning for. If you want a different experience, you must own the actions you have taken so far and do a serious inventory on how to make ethical changes in your dating life. And remember, you can't control other people. So even when you show up with the energy to kick TDC to the curb, you may come across daters who are not practicing the same values you are those people are not for you and that is okay kind of goes into not taking it personally when you don't have compatibility which is something that i think we've accidentally taught in our culture is that if somebody decides they are not compatible with me in any way that there's something wrong with me and that doesn't really mean that that's it's like saying that there's something wrong with the usb thing that won't fit in the usb-c port there's nothing wrong with them they just don't go together like they can still totally exist and not be bad things. You don't need to throw one in the trash. Um, it just doesn't go together. And there's nothing wrong with that. Indeed. Indeed. And yeah, just I, I, if anything, I, if anything, I think, too, I would say just be able to be honest with yourself as well own up to your mistakes that have led to a relationship going sideways, you know, because you are not an innocent victim. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, because there may be, there may be, uh, we're, we're not talking about abuse instances here. Right. We're, we're talking just two people that just life happens and they drift apart, you know. Exactly. Because um, I know sometimes with some things that I feel I've witnessed and even in my past relationships or even, you know, you get into relationships with other partners and you hear them talk about their past relationships. I think the biggest problem with a lot of them is they get really toxic and nobody addresses it. It goes back to that whole, well, they're toxic. It's their thing. And you're not necessarily doing that important shadow work, which is absolutely vital for a healthy long-term relationship is to see where you honestly contribute it. Uh, again, it's not meant to victim blame there. Cause a lot of people will say, well, you're victim blaming. I'm like, well, not really. There's actually a really fine line between shadow integration work and self-blame. And I think, honestly, if you're being honest with yourself, you could feel that difference. One is a beat-up conversation. The other is, mm, well, I sure did interrupt him in the middle of his thought, and I can see where that was really rude. So that probably put that in the mood, and then it just kind of escalated from there, because then we just started interrupting each other, right? Like, yeah. there's, there's a difference between 
you know, the two. Um, and you can grow from it and you can make a better relationship from it. But I think what happens is when people have that they are being toxic attitude and not having that honesty, especially when you have both people doing that, that relationship gets so toxic that you can actually end up in a situation where you are abusive to each other. And I'm not saying like that, that domestic violence level of abuse. I'm even saying the emotional abuse end of it, the way that you can just justify saying shitty things to each other, the, they did this to me, so I'm going to do it back. Like those are kind of oddly abusive mentalities to have, in my opinion. Uh, and they can creep up on you. I mean, cause you know, I've made no secret that my marriage did not end well. And I know in my marriage, I certainly said things out of anger that, you know, I wish I could go back in time and take it, take back, but I got to live with the consequences of, of what I did because ultimately I wasn't being honest with myself. You know, I didn't have the courage to say to myself, this is not working. This cannot continue. There is no way to resolve this. It's time to go. You know, right. if I had been able to do that at a much earlier time, you know, maybe I could have had a better relationship with the ex-wife. Maybe things could have been could have been different. But, you know, I, I took the path that I did. Now, I'm a human being. Everybody makes mistakes. You learn. That's a part of life. And, you know, I would like to think I've gotten better, you know, at this. But um, it, it's you're, you're still you're still going to make mistakes. You're human. Just, just the most important thing is just be honest with yourself about what you did to muck things up because nine times out of 10, basically too, if you have somebody that you used to date, another thing I found too is talk to them about the situation because you're going to be less likely to do the whining. Everybody hates me thing, because obviously if the person, you know, is talking to you, that used to have a relationship with them. That's not the case. Right. So and you're like, able to check yourself. Yeah. And something that I found honestly refreshing about my first marriage, because that didn't work out, but it also just kind of got addressed quickly that it wasn't working out. And it didn't turn into this thing that we stayed together because, you know, we're married. So we should give it we should we should make it stay together for at least X number of years. Right. right. And then uh, I'm glad we didn't do that, because I think that probably would have been a recipe to be incredibly toxic. Um, and as much as it doesn't thrill me that, you know, my first marriage was kind of short, that is something I was thankful for, especially, you know, learning about other people's marriages and how bad they can just get to this point where it's just really toxic. You're even indulging in bad behaviors together. And then it comes to a either like literally violent or figuratively violent end. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and granted the literally violent is a totally other conversation, but it even goes into the, the kind of the metaphorical or like the verbally violent where you end up yelling at each other and saying horrible things. And, you know, I just wish people could have that okayness with either you need to be able to talk and navigate and fix this relationship. You potentially need to maybe hire somebody to help you talk and navigate and salvage this relationship or you need to find a way to separate and go your own ways because you've recognized that this is so stinking toxic at this point that at the very least you need space like immediately. Yeah. And that's the sad thing that I feel like doesn't happen. And that's where we get these really aggressive and terrible breakups, particularly in our marriage culture. Indeed. Indeed. Now, 
there was another article that uh, you came across from BuzzFeed that we both were able to dive into uh, to come up with an impromptu nerdy five here. Yeah. We, we haven't done a nerdy five in a minute and Tim and I kind of liked doing these. So I found an opportunity to do kind of a fun one. This is our least favorite dating rules in quotes. I would also just say our least favorite, bleh, least favorite dating behaviors if I can talk today. Um, so going to go back and forth. I know there's at least one that we matched up on. So Tim, why don't you take us away with your number one, your least favorite dating rules or behaviors? All right. My first least favorite dating rule is telling people to try harder and eventually they'll make the person fall in love with them. Um, according to the article, this causes all kinds of issues, especially if the feelings aren't reciprocated, which duh, you know, um, <laughs> right. like the relationships that have worked, even, you know, short term stuff like that. But the relationships that have worked for me have been ones to where they just work. You know, I mean, granted, there's there's work involved in maintaining that long term, but you know, at at the start, things just work. If you find that there is a disconnect, you need to really examine that because that may be your brain telling you, hey, maybe this ain't gonna work. Maybe this isn't ideal. Right, and I think there's a difference between the whole like what this is talking about, which is try harder. And mm -hmm. working on your relationship together, right? Indeed. This one is really kind of, it almost drips with the control issues, right? Because eventually they'll, quote, make the person fall in love with them. Well, you're trying to control your partner, your potential partner. And, you know, we kind of catch whiffs of when people try to control us. And it's extremely off-putting. I think that's why sometimes when people have conversations about opposing positions, mm -hmm. if somebody is going into that conversation with the full intention of I'm going to change your mind, there is something that person will pick up about that and kind of get in that defensive, like pick up all those defensive mechanisms against that. And I don't blame them. Like that's a very natural reaction to somebody trying to control you, your feelings, your thoughts, your actions is to defend your feelings, your thoughts, your actions. So it's kind of putting yourself like where you're trying to control that person. So super obvious why that's a toxic dating behavior. <laughs> And, yeah, and and it's it's not healthy. You're trying to create something that's not there, and then ultimately, what you end up doing, and I've fallen victim to this myself. You end up trying to capture an idea of a person and not capture their heart and 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 have them for real, you know. And yeah. if you're if if it's to the point to where you're more in love with an idea of a person and not the person themselves, you got to step back. Right. It kind of, I think I've mentioned this book before on here that's kind of on my tick list of stuff to read one day, but there's one called Controlling People that talks about that concept um, where, yeah, they're, they're, especially if they don't like act in the way you expect them to, which is to love you, mm -hmm. that doing things to someone to try to make a certain result is trying to control them. Like that is literally the definition of it. Um, so the reverend's number one least favorite dating rule or behavior, the idea that someone has to go out with a man because he's nice. Um, I remember this kind of really being taught more on the vagina, on the woman end, the girl end of the conversations. Like as a child, I kind of remember this this odd pressure 
that I felt like in general, and I'm totally open to being corrected on this one, but I did feel like, especially this goes back to when I was a kid in Texas. So take it with a grain of that, that there was more of a conversation and a pressure towards female bodied women, people to the, the personality should be good enough for you, even though that's not really the expectation on the other side, right? We were still supposed to diet and be fit in Texas. There was a lot of the, you should be the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader type mentality. If you really want to be dateable, um, that's a big thing there. So I really didn't like that pressure because that did like, when I think back of early dating times, like I felt obligated to go on dates with people who were nice and I never meant to lead them on. Um, I thought I was doing a very nice thing, <laughs> but it's not a nice thing. It is leading someone on if you're not interested in them. But there's that weird guilt that you're really scared to hurt the nice guy because you don't want to make that nice guy the bad guy for the next woman that he tries to date. So there's just an interesting pressure that I remember, um, a narrative on that, if you will, like since childhood. To me, it reminds me of Back to the Future um, with Marty's mother, Lorraine, um, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you know, tell, you know, you, you shouldn't kiss with a boy sitting in a car with a boy. You know, that, back in my day, we did this. And, and, and yet you, when Marty goes back in time, finds out his mother did everything she said not to do. And I, I think I think, too, a lot of this. Because I remember, you know, when my daughter was younger, you know, you should I, I told her you should be with a nice guy, you know, and when I meant that I meant, you know, someone that wouldn't treat her bad hit her or anything like that. But, you know, hearing that me saying nice guy to her and then society's, you know, telling her as a woman what a nice guy is too, maybe I could have been a little more clear on my end, you know? Yeah, I totally see where that that encouraging to date someone just because they're nice with that weird narrative that if you don't, you're going to make that nice guy a mean guy. Like is just something that I just really recall, even though nobody ever spelled it out that way. But at the same time, you can kind of see where that narrative is. Like even some of the, the men that do end up being kind of the, the womanizer type, like there are many that blame it on, you know, being nice doesn't get you anywhere. Being nice gets you shit on, you know, and that's a very sad mentality to have. But that's kind of the the weird two ends, I guess, of that one. But what is your number two? <laughs> number two. Um, <laughs> my number it's a poop two joke. Yeah. Duty. Um, it's playing hard to get. It's a super toxic dating strategy for everybody involved. The person who's using the tact the tactic is messing with the other person's head. And like me, I I'm not subtle in any way, shape, or form in the art of romance. I'm not going to play hard again because if I'm trying to play hard to get, I'm about I, I'm as easy to read as a cue card. <laughs> you know, but, um, when you know, I've tried to date women that have played hard to get, though, like. I, I don't like that, you know, and like, like now, if that happened to me now and a woman played hard to get, I just wouldn't talk to her again, you know, because to, it's like there is, uh, there is levels that you got to earn, I guess, in a relationship, the more you get to know somebody, but um, I shouldn't have to, you know, think of a song and dance routine in order, in order to take someone to see a movie, you know? Right. Like the whole and I guess like some of these rules, I felt like some of the rules in this article were a little bit redundant and could have been looped together. But there was another one mentioned of you got to wait 
X mm-hmm. number of days or, you know, and that's all part of that pretending to be disinterested, right? Now, the playing hard to get. That, now, playing hard to get and an established relationship can, a lot of times can have different connotations and that can be fun. But this is not what we're talking about here, especially yeah. if you don't know the person. Why why put up barriers? You know, why not just say if you actually do like the person, say, let's do something instead of, you know, instead of you do this, this and this. And then maybe I'll grant you the gift of my presence. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is your number two? Number two, another popular one I remember, pretending to be interested in something you're not in order to get a date. Um, the very popular one in Texas specifically, because that's where a lot of my formative years and a lot of that programming tried to come from for dating on what to do was mm-hmm. I better at least pretend to be into football. Um, because I should expect that my man is going to want to watch sports, either football or NASCAR or something like that. And I better be on board with going to all of those things and being into their interests because being into their interests means, you know, that we can be together for some reason, even though like, especially uh, in, I would say like in polyamory, it, it's been something that I've heard more talked about is you don't have to be somebody's everything. And now that attitude can exist in monogamy as well, because I know you bring up polyamory sometimes to monogamous minded folks and they just immediately like reject everything like they don't want to hear any of it. But there's a lot of really healthy dating stuff in there, Um, you know, like not needing to be somebody's everything like your partner can have friends to go to games with. Like it does not have to be you. Maybe that's when you do the thing that you like to do that they're not into. Or if you're a crafter and you get to be at home while they're at games or whatever, like you can reframe uncommon interests as being that healthy, independent time, which is really good. And I think there's more and more research showing that having that independence in your relationship is an incredibly healthy thing. So it's interesting that this is still something that is so relevant that it comes up on a BuzzFeed article today. This idea that you need to pretend to be into something. And I'm trying to think there was totally a, uh, um, like a dating site uh, that uh, it's not a dating site. There was a movie and I'm trying to think of the name of it. And I'm sure it'll come to me the minute we, we end the call um, <laughs> where her friend is trying to help her. Oh, must love dogs. That was it. Must huh. love dogs. There's a scene where the friend is like, it's an ad. And she makes like her friend, all of these different profiles. And one, she's really into rodeo and like crap like that. And the other one, she's really into like totally different things like fine dining. And so, yeah, like that's been that prevalent, this whole idea that you should pretend to be somebody to advertise yourself instead of actually advertising what you really are, right? Because there's a different mentality around that. Put out there what you are so you can attract people who are into you, not put out a fake version of yourself so that you can get more hits, and also, too, like you mentioned, keep in mind that, you know, th- this is not a case of looking for that one person who shares each and every interest that you do have, because you're not going to find that person. Even if they do like the same types of movies, they may like different movies for different reasons, you know, and and it's 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 you do have to have some shared interest in a long term, you know, nesting partner type of relationship, you know, in order to make that work, you do. But. You know, that doesn't mean it has to be everything. And to your point, yeah, like it would be great, you know, like 
like I love professional wrestling. Do I expect a do I expect a partner to be into it? Would it be great? Of course, I would love that, but I'm not going to bring somebody to a professional wrestling show that doesn't want to be there because I know it is an acquired taste. Yeah, like you need to kind of know your prices of admission, right? And I think that may have been something I took from Savage Lovecast. Um, Because I did like some of Dan Savage's stuff. When I was going through the divorce uh, with my first husband, I really listened to a lot of dating stuff. And that's where it's like I listened to Polyamory Weekly, Multiamory, and Savage Lovecast for the most part. It's Mm -hmm. kind of my, all right, I'm actually in the dating world. What do I need to know? And uh, I loved that concept of a price of admission. So, like, Tim, if you're constantly on the road and traveling because you're following wrestling, I could see that being a more realistic price of admission. Or if it's just really important to you because you know you have social anxiety and you know you're going to want your partner to be with you at places, that is a fair price of admission Mm -hmm. to, like, really want that. But you really need to pick those carefully because it goes kind of back into that. You can't have a list of 130 some odd things. You're not going to find that. So it's it just kind of making those impo- Yeah. It has to be the important ones. Yeah. Realistic expectations. It's important to set them for yourself as well as any potential partners that you may have. Now, we both shared a number three. Yes. Waiting for men to make the first move. Super outdated, and the woman only gets to date guys who actually approach her, which will limit her possibilities. I have only had one woman ask me out for a date, and that was back in high school. And, she, yeah, I ended up not going with her because um, she <laughs> pushed a little too hard for the date. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, that's a different story. But I, it would be nice if, you know, a woman came up and says, you're cute, let's go out. You know, because yeah. like at that point, I'd be like, okay, you know, but still, yeah, that happens. You know, it's like the times to where like I would have gay guys like hit on me, like if they hit on me, like I'm not going to go out with them. But it's just like, oh, my God, someone thinks I'm cute. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of remember, I guess I was ahead of my time. Um, but yeah, I used to try to ask boys out. And then what's funny is that got turned into making fun of me as being desperate. And I never understood that. I remember being very confused. Like, wait a second, I'm not allowed to just say that I would date you if you were into that. Like, why is that on the no list? So that was one of those things I remember really early, like even in fifth grade, I I still remember my first check yes or no letter because when I was a kid that song was popular and I did it and I got made fun of because well you know Tracy that was a man writing a note to a girl you you don't do that like that's not that's not your role and then what I find interesting about this whole concept of still waiting on men to make the first move is it kind of puts them in an oddly predatory role in dating like if it's all up to the man to make the first move it I mean, I, I kind of find it hard to not take that any other way. If they are the pursuer and you are meant to be pursued. And it just seems like that's been such an unhealthy thing. And we've even pointed out that that's unhealthy, especially because it puts men to more of that narrative that they are supposed to be persistent. They are supposed to pursue even necessarily if a woman doesn't want them to. And especially when you pair that with another really damaging behavior that we do of the playing hard to get a man mm-hmm. now in this situation when you combine those two rules doesn't know if they're doing the right thing or not so like right like wait is she playing hard to get 
or is she saying no? <laughs> so do you keep pursuing or not? Because if you're in that role, you kind of assume that it's your job to keep pursuing. Uh, but but that that's the thing, though. I mean, when you get someone with so much anxiety like myself, though, if I get faced with that situation, it's like, well, nice knowing you. <laughs> Like, uh, that's the importance of communication. That's why I think it would be great if we did have um, a society that didn't kind of belittle women into, you know, asking guys out. Because, you know, to to what you mentioned, I mean, would a boy of a comparable age who asked a girl out be given the ridicule that you were given? Of course not. Oh, no, but this goes back to, you know, I was born in 85 and this was like in middle school. So that I was, like I said, really <laughs> ahead of my time because it really, that wasn't something you did as a girl. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't ask out boys. You waited for them to ask you out. And so I was, I was a. Uh, or you wait you for know, the Sadie teenager. Hawkins dance, you know. <laughs> or you wait for the Sadie Hawkins. Nope, nope, you're right. Sadie Hawkins dance. But what's funny is we didn't have those. <laughs> we did not have Sadie Hawkins dances where I was from. We did have like a, I forget that what they called it, but it was very Sadie Hawkins themed uh, when I went to the Christian university. But just because, you know, that's, that's the one <laughs> time you were allowed to pursue your fellas as, as a female in that Christian community was the whole Sadie Hawkins themed thing. But other than that, yeah, there's just this whole thing where you are not allowed, but that even goes into that playing hard to get weird thing or just, you know, you, you have to hide that you're interested for some reason. Indeed. Well, let me go on with my number four here um, for my least favorite dating role, and that's men treating women like achievements instead of people. And basically the whole the notch on the bedpost type of deal, you know, putting up statistics as to how many I mean, women are not achievements in a video game. You know, they are living, breathing human beings with emotions just like you. Um, That doesn't mean you can't have sex with a lot of them, you know, but again, it's, you can do that while being respectful of them as human beings. Yes. And, and a lot of that requires honesty, right? Like you just exactly. need to be willing to be honest about it. That's it. That's the only thing you got to do and yeah, be okay when they don't want it back. Like that's the second part. Yeah. Because again, guys, believe it or not, women are open to a lot. You just got to be cool. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, especially now, um, you know, there's been... <laughs> I I don't like calling it the slut movement because I think that kind of just really, yeah. Um, But I've heard it referred to as the slut movement. Uh, But yeah, I I fully support that women are now more comfortable when they do just want casual sexual relationships, right? Because it wasn't that long ago that that was viewed as a really disgusting thing. That if a woman didn't want to couple – like a nest that they just wanted to have promiscuous sex, um, that that was a really like bad thing. It's, it, it meant that they were like a bad person in a weird way. I just kind of remember that narrative. Um, but that's more now, like more women are feeling more okay with being honest about that. And I think that's the cool thing to capitalize on. If you are a person who likes to have sex with women and just wants to have casual sex, you're more likely to get that honesty now because we're not that far away from women also lying that that's what they wanted because they're really hoping they can get that man to fall in love with her. Like (laughs) magic vagina, like that they're just going to start having sex with you. And that means that they will definitely fall in love with you because that's how it works for you. But that goes back to, we often misinterpret other people's 
like uh, actions and abilities because we're basing it off of our experience, right? Just because if you're demi or not demisexual, but you know, if you're more likely to like develop those tight romantic bonds because you are being sexual with somebody, which I think is a little bit related to demisexualism, um, you know, that doesn't mean that that's going to be everybody's experience of sex. They're not going to maybe fall in love with you because you're you're opening up to them literally, right? Um, so yeah, like kind of getting rid of, of of that narrative would be super awesome. It would be awesome, but I think too that does go into the whole how you establish the relationship to begin with, which again for um, you know online dating is kind of missing a step along the way. You know, yeah, it goes back to that we're accidentally objectifying people and not really caring what their wants, needs and emotionals like feelings are in the situation. Meanwhile, it does seem like a little bit of applied honesty would make a, a really kind of happy world where you're not feeling like you need to ditch and ghost and, Oh my God, I'm changing my number again because bitches, right? Like, <laughs> sorry, I've heard somebody say that before. Like they changed their number um, because of that. And then now you got stuff like text now that makes that even easier than ever, which is sad. Um, but anywho, my number four, another thing that I super remember, um, setting everything by a timeline and due date. For example, after two months, you should be able to label it as a relationship. After six months, I love yous should have already happened. And after one year, cohabitate, those sorts of things. I do kind of remember that. Like I even remember it being kind of oddly restrictive because I felt like I wasn't allowed to share my feelings where they were at. Like my experience is that when you find somebody that you love and you love each other, I love you comes up well before that six month mark. Oh yeah. Right. Like that, that is almost established really quickly. If there's like within love the in first relationship. month, if that, yeah. Yeah. So this whole idea of timelines and how prevalent they still are um, is something that I would love to see more people question. Like, and again, like maybe don't take it personally if they don't say I love you back. We talked about that some with the, some of the big mouth stuff and some of the other things that we've watched with the TNT review. Like it doesn't need to be taken that personally when they don't say I love you back. They're just mm -hmm. not there yet. Like you could still work on that relationship and love can grow. That doesn't mean anything bad that you're comfortable with saying that first where they're not. Besides, you might honestly be waiting on them to work out unresolved stuff around talking about emotions with their family, which is a deeper issue. And I do think that that warrants some patience, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I've never understood why that was considered so hurtful. Um yeah, I mean, I guess there's some really bad ways to respond to I love you. And it's kind of a cliche and it comes up in movies about dating time and time again, like, oh, I love you. And they go, that's neat. And then it just that's what the movie's about. You know what I mean? But I was like, what? but was it really that bad? Like they could have just lied and said it back. And then they've got this weird resentment building because they're like, you put me in this position to say something. But we can totally be open to accepting that people develop levels of feelings at different times. And it's okay if you're not 100% on the same timeline. It doesn't mean that relationship is doomed as long as you can have those honest conversations and being open to that. And it goes back to not taking it personally on little levels of incompatibility. Yeah, I mean, in relationships, you do have I mean, it, it, more than anything. I think it's like a societal expectation of what is supposed to happen in a relationship. And, and I, it 
people are different people. You know, there are some people that will meet and then within six months, they're already married and have a baby on the way, you know, and then you have some people that take some time. I mean, relationships work in different ways and you will know when it's right. I think the important thing to keep in mind is stuff like NRE, of course, because you don't want to make decisions in the midst of NRE to find out, whoops, we don't have nothing in common, you know? Oh yeah. And even then, like that just takes mature information or mature conversation because if you do end up like you know you ended up moving in with each other i know Mm -hmm. the mr reverend and i moved in with each other really quickly because that worked for us i was in a situation where i was roommates with my ex-husband and he was in a situation where he was kind of staying in like kind of just this little tiny like you know renting a room from a place and he wanted into a bigger space i wanted into a bigger space so we had that talk and That's what I love so much about my partnership with him is that we've always been able to kind of have that level of conversation where we can say, hey, if this doesn't work out, can we just like try to be as amicable as possible? Like it's a two bedroom. We could totally one of us can move into the second room. We can feel out like if we can make it through the end of the lease and just get through it. Right. Like, can we agree going into this that we're not terrible people so bad that if this doesn't work out on a romantic level and. People say that I am like totally unromantic because I've still had those conversations with him, mm-hmm. like regarding if we ever decided to get divorced. Um, and if that happened, if we had a baby, what would that look like? Like if we shared a child, what would that look like? And I think those are important conversations to have. Uh, they, um, they are definitely important conversations to have and conversations that people are not having. I've been guilty of not having them myself in relationships and it's like by the time it's by the time things get to the point where it's untenable, it's far worse than what it would have been if you both had just sat down and talked it out. You know, especially in terms yeah. of a moving in situation, because moving in and living with somebody is a completely different experience than you know than uh, you know dating them. Well, while you live in two separate residences, because you have that distance when you live together, that's gone. Totally. And actually, you know what? Let's flip our number five sharing because we've accidentally gone into mine and then we'll wrap up with your number five. My number five and something that I get judged for still when I talk about this, not talking about important issues on the first date. One of the examples they gave is if you want to have kids. And again, a lot of this is written under the monogamy scope, right? Like this was not and none of this that we pulled up was polyamory stuff. So this is all like monogamy dating. Um, not talking about stuff like if you want to live together, if you want to get married, if you want to have kids, I have been told so often that I am too intense to date. And when I unpack what they're talking about, it's because I don't have time for small talk. I mean, I think that's almost clear about how we have these conversations as our podcast that we don't just talk about, oh, that weather. I mean, we start with that, but we dive in and we have sometimes difficult conversations with each other on this show. And I think that should be something that you said at the beginning, especially if you do want somebody that you live with. Right. Like you need to be able to have difficult conversations living with somebody you're sharing space. And that even goes with roommates, too. Right. Like if there's an expectation on chores, if there's an expectation on like how to split the water bill because somebody wants to take three showers in a day and maybe you're just not that person. You do dry brushing or whatever and shower just once a day or every other, because if you do dry brushing, it does get a lot of stuff off of you. If you're not uh-huh. like working out and busting a huge sweat. I know some people who don't necessarily shower every day. And I bring that up because that has been a fight among Amongst roommates that I have overheard, not any of my roommates, but 
two people who were roommates fighting about the water bill because they felt one person used it way more than the other. Um, but you basically need to have like good communication skills. But yeah, it's something that I always felt people judged me for. And I guess I'm, I'm too intense. I'm too much because I expected to be able to be honest and say, here's what I need. And like sometimes you can have that honesty and it's not taken seriously. Like there was a guy that I had dated and this was just so you know, I'm not talking about you. This was after you. This was before the Mr. Reverend and actually uh, also collided with the time that I was dating the Mr. Reverend. But there was this guy that I just really didn't see it working in a living together situation. And I knew he wanted that. But mm-hmm. I, I was very clear that that probably wasn't going to come from me. I just didn't get that sense of that compatibility between us. But I really enjoyed him as a person. I enjoyed our dates. I enjoyed our conversation. He was funny. And then when I did, like, kind of, like, he really started to sink in that that wasn't going to be a me moving in with him and that kind of relationship, he kind of started justifying treating me not so great. And that turned into a lot of me crying. And having to unpack these fights that I didn't understand. And now I'm not saying that he was a bad person for that. I actually completely understand um, kind of where that may have not been the best dating relationship for me to choose to be in. Like, I think there were earlier signs that if I had been honest with myself, I maybe should have backed that relationship a little bit down, like in a very kind way. Um, I don't know how he would have handled that conversation because, you know, the fact is the fact it wound up blowing up. And, you know, I mean, what's great is even he and I have an okay friendship. Like, we're still Facebook friends every now and then. We check in on each other. Like, it was able to come away from being that. But, yeah, uh, not talking on the first date and not taking people seriously when they tell you those things on the first date is kind of almost related to this. But I didn't see that one. Like, when somebody does tell you what they want Mm -hmm. in the beginning, it's not your job to convince them of something different. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, little things like I don't want kids and then somebody else. Oh, come on, eat this cute. Here's a baby. Don't you want your. No, I told you I don't want them, you know, and, and it, you got to be able to respect that and be able to have the courage to walk away from it if that is what you want yourself. Yes. Is that a price of admission for you? Do you know for a fact that you want or do not want children? That is absolutely relevant to bring up early early because like there's no sense in getting super emotionally attached then you start making plans with this human and then you realize that those plans aren't going to look like what you expected on both sides like if that if if person a expected you know cool coupleship never having kids and if person b expects cool coupleship having kids well that's obviously going to cause some resentment at some point so doesn't it make sense to kind of have those conversations early and be real about it instead of what I feel, especially it goes back to what female bodied, what vaginaed people are kind of taught or at least were taught in my, my neck of the woods down where I come from <laughs> is that, well, he just doesn't know that he wants that with you yet. You know, men have to be kind of made comfortable before they, they want kids. And I'm like, that's really just not the case. No. You know, one of the early conversations I had with the Mr. Reverend um, at the time was, I'm not really sure I ever want to have kids. And he was saying, like, well, he's fine. He loves being a dad. If we ever decided to, he's fine with it. But he's OK that he's got his kids. I love being a stepmom. Like that was definitely a conversation that was super healthy and super awesome from the beginning. And then what's great is from there, your only job is to realize that sometimes people's desires change. 
and not necessarily, it's not that they lied to you. It's that, you know, maybe the person who didn't want to have kids got really comfortable with you and now suddenly is fine with that. So that's a healthy way that conversation can pivot down the road. Or if they really go into the, oh, I want to raise kids, but I just really don't physically want to have a baby. Can we adopt? Like there's ways that you can maybe be open to conversation around some of those big topics. And even down to moving in together, maybe that person thought they wanted to be like kind of, nope, I'll, I'll date you. We could be forever a couple. Who was it? Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Uh, Kurt Russell. Like they never lived together. And that worked for them. I don't know if they ever did at some point, but I know for most of their relationship, they did not. They had kids together, but that worked for them. But I think at some point, if somebody changed their mind and decided they wanted to live together, that doesn't mean that they lied about it from the beginning. And I think that's the odd thing that happens in dating sometimes too. That's oddly related to this point. Yeah. I mean, you do got to accept the fact that, I mean, with time, people do do end up changing. Their needs end up changing. So you got to be able to accept that. But two, again, the important thing is to talk talk about the important stuff. I mean, I've been guilty of not talking it out and I've dealt with the consequences after the fact. And, you know, at my age, I don't know if I want to do that much anymore myself, you know? (laughs) Exhausting cycle, I think is what I would call that. It's a very exhausting cycle. It is. It is. But let me go on with my number five here. And being a cheap Dutchman, um, I had to put this on my list here. And that's the idea that a man should pay for the date. People pass it off as, as, as pass it off as some gentleman type thing. But really, it's designed to make the other person, they feel they owe the man something, i.e. sex, because he bought them dinner, a movie ticket, etc. You know, I think of that Chris Rock bit, Chris Rock bit where he talked about where guys are really only really offering dick to women you know like hey how, how's it going do you want some dick hey how about i help you with this do you want some dick <laughs> you know? but to me though it uh, yeah like I, I, I by default i wish you know for all of my dates that it would be dutch unless there's a clear expectation at the start that this is something special and i'm going to pay for the entire thing you know especially at the start there should be no expectation of one person paying for everything because if it's a first date you're not in a committed relationship yet why should one person have to pay for everything if you're just meeting to see if you know that you're compatible in any way shape or form you know Oh, exactly. And plus, like, normalizing Dutch dating, right? Like, Dutch payment. And that's, again, early in it, right? Like, if you're planning a special dinner and it's really bougie and expensive, maybe you should be the one that intends on paying for that, right? But if you're doing some of these first dating activities, like, and I'm not like, okay, so if you're doing something cute, like taking them to an event, like the circus or something, I could see just buying their ticket. But like some of the most common early dating things are going out for a a meal or going out and meeting for coffee, um, having a beer, like go ahead and normalize Dutch dating. Because I think that would also nip a toxic dating culture thing that actually I didn't see getting brought up, but it is actually people who don't actually want to date and just want, the, the the free meal, the free food, the free drinks, which I think is something that is a really toxic attitude that has been encouraged on the female bodied end of the dating spectrum yeah. um, is just this idea that because you have the vajayjay that you should be doted upon. And there 
are a demographic of women who take advantage of that. I am not saying all, but it exists and we need to own that that exists and to protect the nice guys out there. I think we kind of owe it upon ourselves to just kind of normalize Dutch dating because that's going to make less nice guy victims who are genuinely sweet guys and just want to do the right thing and are just happy to have like that social interaction with somebody and the potential for a date. Right. And think about think about scenarios too, to where maybe the woman makes more than the guy, significant amount more than the guy. If the guy is doing just a regular nine to five job with a high school diploma or something like that, you know, paying for a lobster and caviar dinner, uh, you know, is not something you'd be able to do every week necessarily. You know? Yes, when the Mister Reverend and I went on our first date, no joke, he uh, he met me at the train station. Because <laughs> he didn't have a vehicle at the time. Um, here's a cute thing. The first words he ever said to me was he picked up this blue, if anybody knows what a buff is. And I think we're more familiar with buffs now because of the pandemic and a lot of people got buffs to kind of, you know, that little almost, you know, neck looking wrap that they could slip up over their nose. That yeah. was not at all a face mask, by the way. But he, he always carries one. So he had this blue buff and he brought it out and he goes, excuse me, miss, but does this rag smell like chloroform? Um, very, very, very classy. No, it, it had to do with a joke from us chatting over Tinder. But we went to a Sherry's Diner. I got a salad. He wasn't hungry. I later found out he just didn't really have that much money and he wasn't hungry. So he just got a coffee. Mm-hmm. I paid for his coffee because it was just a coffee. You hussy. No. <laughs> I, I know. But then we kind of had this little joke about me being a sugar mama because at the time I was working in a very well-paying tech job. So I could afford to take us to places like Luklau, which is like a very popular bougie tapas bar in downtown Portland. I could take us out to sushi. I could take us to, God, we went to Portland City Girl once, and that's probably one of the more upscale. I paid for all of that because Mm -hmm. those were things that I wanted to do. And I really respected that he let me. Like, I've been in that situation where a person has said, I don't want to do this date because I don't feel comfortable with you paying. And meanwhile, to me, I don't really give a rip about money. I wanted to go spend time with this person. There's all of this fun dining and fun stuff to do in downtown Portland. And I'm like, you know what? This person's really fun to spend time with. I can pay for it. Like, I don't care. And I think that was a really, this goes into, I do kind of feel the Mr. Reverend is an anomaly because I've not really met many men who were comfortable with that. Um, So it was a really cool thing for me to experience. And now I'm not in that position, right? Like I work a part-time job, so it's almost a little bit like the role reversal. Um, So now he picks stuff and gets to pay for those, but we're also like married now. So that kind of becomes joint finances. But yeah, like I found that very refreshing. That's the only time I was really able to be in that position was when I was working in that job. And let me tell you, to those that consider yourself the ladies out there, oh my God, yeah, that was super freeing. It was nice for me to choose things that I wanted to do and just see if he wanted to come along. And guess what? There were times that I wanted to do stuff that he didn't want to come along. And that's okay. I didn't get shamed for wanting to do something he wanted. He didn't want to do. And I also still did that thing. Um, very empowering to take that upon yourself, honestly. Indeed. And I think ultimately at the end here, you know, ultimately just be honest, you know, communicate with people 
and and just tell them what you want. The earlier you can tell them what you want out of the relationship, the better. And I think it's also important too that you know if you do have bumps in the road in a relationship, talk them out. Exactly. Um, don't be afraid to communicate with a person that you know you, you care about, especially if you live with them. Because if you don't talk this stuff out. Poison stuff happens, and that's not good. Trust me on that, folks. <laughs> you know what? I didn't plan on giving a reading recommendation when we first came on to do this episode. And I'm going to preface this of you can take dating advice from other people, like in polyamory, even if you're a monogamous person. And I think one of my favorite books that I've read that I felt like talked really well about communication is from another podcaster. It's actually from that Polyamory Weekly that I mentioned. So maybe we should totally tag Cunning Minx in this. I don't know if her podcast is still going. I've kind of moved on from, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was studying relationships. So it's not that they were bad podcasts. I just, I was ready to move on from listening to them. But this book, and I'm actually holding it for Tim right now, is Eight Things I wish I'd known about polyamory before I tried it and fracked it up. And really, I almost wish this book had been named something like anything different, like about like relationship communication and honesty, because I really feel like she hit a lot of very good points on the head. It's a short book. It's not a long book. It's an easy read. She, I think, is probably one of the more charming people. Um, that I got to listen to because, you know, Dan Savage is a little bit rough around the edges sometimes, but Cunning Minx, I always felt was, I just wanted to hug her like almost every time. Like I was like, you, I would hang out with you and have coffee with you. Like you seem like such a nice human to speak to. Um, But yeah, like, cause really with polyamory, like you have to have on point communication skills. And that's what I took away from studying that. Am I technically a practicing polyamorous person anymore? I mean, not really, right? Like, I'm very much in a monogamous style relationship, um, and I'm not even sure that that will always be the case. But right now, my reality is this is it, and this is working. And a lot of the reason it's working is because of the communication skills I picked up in essentially being curious about other dating preferences, being curious about polyamory, and being willing to, like, learn what I could from that. So... Again, just to emphasize, you don't have to be interested in pursuing a polyamorous relationship to take really good communication advice that I think is definitely relationship-saving material and will help build you to be a good person to have a relationship with because you've been working on those skills in the background. Yes. I mean, because in polyamory, the fact that you are dealing, you know, in in some cases with, you know, multiple people here, you do have to have good communication skills. If you don't have them, it will not go fun. (laughs) No, it don't go too good when they communicato. Um, You kind of need to learn how to talk. And I think if you've ever been in a relationship that got to that aggressively, like, you know, that, that aggressive or violent head, when you really are honest with yourself about it, it was probably communication not happening because I think that's where you get so mad um, is that you feel like this kind of resentment because you feel like you constantly have to be the one that just deals with not communicating. And I think that happens on both sides. That's not just like one person yeah. is guilty and one person is not. I think in a weird way, when that happens, both people are guilty. And it's just hard to accept that you're guilty of wrong. Because we do. We have a very honest urge for self-preservation in our minds. Mm -hmm. But you should understand that and be willing to work past that if you want to have a good, healthy relationship. 
Indeed, indeed. So any last words about dating? No, um, just get out there and be good to people, man. Like, I don't know, maybe if you've got a whole, you know, <laughs> and relationships don't start them, stay toxic mentality, like maybe <laughs> don't be in the dating pool. Um, if you legit just want casual sex and casual connection and have no intention of moving in with somebody, just be honest about it because there are people who are cool with that and will want that back, right? Um, and just don't go into relationships trying to change people, like any of them, your friendships either. Like so much of relationship and dating stuff, I think, can even be applied to other relationships. It's it's ridiculous to me that we don't. Um, but you don't need to lie to kick it. Like you should be comfortable being honest with your friendships, your partnerships, any of your relationships. Honesty is key. I know that is a cliche saying, but it really is key to healthy relationships. Indeed, indeed. And I think most importantly, too, for men, it's maybe it's time to get off the dating apps. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's it's if if we're talking a two to one guys to women uh, ratio here, maybe it's time to, you know, get out of the house, rub your eyes so you can get used to the sunlight outside and, and find something to do to find women in other ways. Because, um, you know, when it comes to dating apps, women have a lot more choices to choose from. And, you know, I think I have a little bit of a caveat there. Uh-huh. What's the caveat? Why not both? Like, you can actually be that nice guy on Tinder or whatever. Just maybe don't put all of your eggs in that basket. Go out and meet people. Because maybe you could still be that little bit of that demographic that's not on there just to fuck around. Like, there's no saying that you can't do both, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to be clear, I'm not saying that – I'm not – I, I, despite the fact that I said it, I, I, you know, if, if dating apps work for some people, that is great. That is good. But, you know, just overall, again, like a two, two to one odds, the odds are not in your favor, guys. So find a way to meet women in other ways besides in your bathroom or during break at work. You know? Maybe don't swipe on the toilet. <laughs> totally yeah. been guilty of that, which made me laugh my ass off on more than one occasion. It's like, I think I swiped that dude while I was on the toilet at work. Um, um, but I guess what I was saying was you can totally kind of reframe your relationship with those dating apps and just mm, one of my favorite shows to watch is Alone. OK, and this is going to sound really unrelated, but just hang on for a second. The most successful people on Alone don't hunt by one method. They're setting traps. They're finding ways to fish. And if they're really resourceful, they'll find a way to hunt. Now, and I know saying hunting and dating kind of sounds like predatory stuff, but I just mean like there's nothing wrong with casting a net and throwing a fishing line. You know what I mean? So, but maybe just have it where you've got that more healthy relationship with Tinder. Like don't, don't necessarily like, you know, if they're, they're using weird code, like let's go have tacos, which I'm still trying to figure out if that meant something because every woman that I did come across, like was like, let's meet and have tacos. I'm like, why do I feel like this is a weird innuendo that I'm not getting? Like that yeah. there was code about getting tacos. And I think there was like with Tinder, but it was just something like, you know, it didn't ever work out when I tried to connect with girls on there anyway. It just, you know, um, but yeah, like, you can totally reframe your relationship with this, still be on there, but just don't be as emotionally invested in it because I could see where that would get really hurtful time and time again. And if you don't have the ability to reframe it, 
by all means, get rid of it. If it's something that legit hurts you every time you interact with it, find different methods. And that is one thing I did forget to bring up. I mean, from what I've read in articles too, like a lot of people that do use uh, the dating apps, like myself, deal with anxiety issues. And and uh, you got to challenge yourself too. You know, the fact that I've been utilizing dating apps for as long as I have as my sole source of uh, uh, meeting meeting uh, meeting women for dates, you know, probably not the best idea because I relied on it too much, I guess, you know, speaking only for me here, you know, so, so if you do find yourself with some social anxiety, this may be a reason to challenge yourself to get out and not be so reliant upon the electronic teach. Exactly. And plus, like, if you've kind of got that mentality that you're going out to make relationships, you're going to build a cool tribal network of friends along the way too. So then whenever, cause right, like what happens is whenever you're focused on only dating for relationships, tale as old as time, you get into a relationship, you become friends with all their friends, that relationship doesn't work out. And then you're friendless um, because, you know, they were friends with them first. And that was something that I totally kept repeating um, where I would kind of date friend groups. And then I would end up losing all of those friends every time. And that just kind of sinks you down where you feel even more lonely. And that was a really horrible cycle that I did not realize I was doing. And it took me forever to break it. I don't think I broke that until I actually moved to Oregon because Mm -hmm. that was the final straw um, was the relationship that I moved away from. I mean, granted, I was already planning on going to Oregon, but I, I went earlier because I wound up filing a restraining order against this person. But even before that point, I was already feeling really lonely because right. I had realized I lost all of my friends by breaking up with this. I'll just call it what it was. He was kind of an asshole. Um, you know, so it was warranted. I, but that made it harder for me to end that relationship that was not good for me. Because I knew I was going to be losing all of my friends, too. So in a weird way, kind of getting yourself out there and having a, an attitude of building relationships, like platonic as well as romantic, can kind of set you up to not feel as lonely. Because, um, yeah, I mean, because what I've found is you got to reframe it. You know, it's like if you're dating somebody and the dating is not working out, yeah, that can be sad. But try to think about the positives, you know, what is, what is working, what can continue to work, you know, and it, uh, too many people are focused on what they've potentially lost than what they have. And yeah. I, I think if more people can appreciate what they have, then, then maybe a breakup won't sting so much as long as, you know, the communication is there. Because again, if communication is not there, that's problem to begin with. you know. <laughs> yes. But anyway, I think that will wrap us up for another week here. We thank you all for listening every Saturday in this podcast space. We will have something to entertain your ear holes until we meet again. We bid you adieu. Stay single, toxic people. I'm going to swipe left on that one. Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling.